Hello and welcome to episode 6, uh, Rebel City Podcast. Um, as always, get Mark with me. How's right, it going? Mate. How's it going? Not too bad, mate. How's yourself? Um, tired, but mm. ready to go. Aye. I think that, that this is... I've been really tired this week as well. Don't know what's going on, but... Um, wanted to get the podcast in basically this week. Uh, didn't have a guest lined up, so um, I decided that basically the daily podcast on anxiety i've had a couple of people um mm-hmm. reach out just since we've uh, started making a podcast and asked me about my experiences uh, different people in different situations but uh, one thing that keeps coming up for them is that they suffer from anxiety yeah different sort of levels mm-hmm. um and i think we've touched on it before so yeah i wanted to just start off a podcast that way and if, if we get a bit of time then can maybe just chat about like how we're finding the end of the podcast yeah and, of course man um I'm kind of similar yourself. Um, oh, I think we kind of touched on it um, last week when we were talking with Dan Proverbs about how you know just kind of having these conversations has encouraged a few folk to sort of reach out and, and obviously chat with. Us. Um, kind of similar experience to yourself in a sense. It's been it's been nice, but again, as much as you know, we were talking suicide prevention last week. Um, that's probably at the high end of the scale of people's experience of you know mental health issues. Um, I think day to day like anxiety has become. A massive thing in people's lives. I think the build-up to this, I read, some like eight percent of the population. <coughs> Excuse me, <coughs> which is huge. You know what I mean? Like eight. Eight. Aye. That say that they suffer. Suffer from some form of anxiety. Right. So okay. It's a big problem out there. Mm-hmm. And well, <coughs> I just just shy of ten percent of the population um, is definitely a huge problem. I think something that had come up for me in one of the conversations was what the person was describing. Obviously, we're not going to name any names. No, if anybody not. ever reaches out and um, wants to talk to us, if they know us on a personal level in, in any way, like I would never mention your name. Or, yep. But uh, one of the conversations that I had, um, the guy was describing to me, which sounded like quite bad anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I had described my experience with anxiety and um, I had spent a number of years in a sort of what I would describe as just like an anxious bubble. Okay. But because um, I had never really had anybody near me or close to me describe their experiences and anxiety, I never really knew what it was. Um, I started experiencing it maybe around about sort of like 18, 19. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I probably had it nonstop through until I was about 21, 22. Mm -hmm. And what that felt like for me was... um, just like a constant sense of unease and this feeling of basically that there's something no right. Yeah. And so I, what I did back then was absolutely nothing. And for whatever reason, it just kind of went away, which I got lucky. Maybe just a phase at the time or yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I thought. I thought maybe this is just a phase. Um, but what this person had described to me was that, kind of feeling um i had say, i would think that so i get i get another sort of about anxiety later on as well but and it was the exact same so what would what, what it would feel like to me is that i was constantly at like a five mm-hmm. out of ten sort of anxiousness that okay. was like my base um and any tiny wee thing that would come in uh, whether it be a work issue a family issue a relationship issue anything whatsoever that came into that sort of 
came into my life and I didn't know it was going to come or it was uncertain, that would cause me to go straight to a 10. Yeah. Um, and what I find that since then is that my base is maybe like a 1 or a 2. Mm-hmm. And if things come in, it goes to about a 5. And I'd never knew that that was the way that I was living. When yeah. I was like 18, 19, I just felt that this was potentially just normal. <clears throat> yeah. I didn't have a great job. Well, I was in a band. I wasn't doing great at uni. It might have been this, it might have been that. That's what I just put it down to. Yeah. Just like probably what it actually was. Just a whole number of things. So situational. Yeah. Um, and I just, like I said, I ignored that and it kind of just shipped away. You've been lucky there, I think, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I know what you're, you're talking about. I, you know, when I was kind of in my uni years, I lived in Mullen. I went out pretty young, sort of 19 to get me in place. I had the, the uni, the job, the social life and whatnot. And I just, that's something I wasn't prepared for at the time. You know what I mean? Like, the notion that I was like, I'll pay X amount in rent, but then you forget about gas and electricity and council tax and feeding yourself and getting to work. And I've got to say, I, 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 that sense that for me, it was merely a kind of dread that I experienced in my younger days. Um, and it was it felt at the time situational. I think what I've learned about myself subsequently, um, it's probably been a symptom of something larger that I was also ignoring at that age. Um, and in my later life, it's weird. And in, in the build up to this, I did a bit of reading on the various, you know, anxiety and sort of panic disorders. Um, and what I've always classified as anxiety within myself doesn't really fit that, you know, textbook definition. I've always felt quite uneasy um, and when, I, when I'm experiencing these emotions. Um, I definitely become very antisocial. Like the notions are going out and being you know, out in public become pretty, and it, it, it brings an anger out in me. So it does, like, it's weird. I become angry with myself, which then just kind of snowballs it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you'll know when you'll see me in a corner of a room just sweat lashing off me, and that's kind of been my experience here. I've been fortunate enough not to have, you know, palpitations and all these other sort mm-hmm. of physical things. So it, it was quite weird for me in that, like, always classifying my anxiety a certain way and then seeing that definition in the build up to the day and being like it doesn't really fit mm-hmm. what so my what experience was the clinical is. what was the definitions <clears throat> that you read um so i think there was like sort of five um various sort of main uh, there was like social anxiety mm-hmm. you know, things like agoraphobia and stuff like that there was um you know ocd you know the how the anxiety basically manifests. So the anxiety is the same throughout. It just sort of manifests in sort of various different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've always classified as my anxiety didn't really, you know, sort of fit into that. To be honest with you, um, or either that, or it's way lighter in terms of anxiety than mm-hmm. maybe I first anticipated. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think like OCD and um, I think yeah, I think that I OCD and. They're like chronic anxiety disorders, and um, I think that everybody. This was this was what I was sort of getting to a minute ago. Is that I think that what everybody doesn't recognise or speak about is is that everybody is sort of suffering to a certain extent yeah. with a certain level of anxiety. Yeah. Um, depending on like you're saying, if it's situational or whether or not it, it's classed as a disorder, mm-hmm. I think that one of the main things that when I was thinking about 
it's like we should really podcast about this is just to sit and just talk about it. I just don't think that anybody speaks hmm. about how, like, I mean, I've had, and I'd say in probably my lifetime, I've probably had about a handful of panic attacks. Hmm. Um, and I don't think any of them have ever been just anywhere. Yeah. It's kind of all, it's been lingering for a few days and mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's sort of, People say it creeps up new. I don't think it. Well, it doesn't for me. Yeah. Like, I, if, if if people get panic attacks and it genuinely creeps up in them, um, then that's totally fine. But for me, it's something that niggles away at me. Yeah. Slowly but surely, and they end up as just like a debilitating fear or something. Yeah. Or nothing. <laughs> um, and I think that if we could speak about these things and. Um, I think that it would definitely would stop it getting to that sort of panic attack level. I think, like, mm-hmm. if somebody, I mean, even for me, I, I, I don't want anybody to sit and think that if I ever speak about stuff because I'm studying uh, mental health and so I know what the ideal is and I know what it should look like, but yeah. I don't always keep to it myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm not preaching to anybody and saying that I'm this is this is how I live my life or anything. If yeah. I'm ever talking about any of the solutions, like, um, but I think that if I, I mean I don't I don't speak openly about it. Mm. I mean I don't I I've the last few weeks I've probably been sitting instead of sitting at a one or a two I've probably been sitting at about a three or four the last couple of weeks. I've had a couple of things happen in my life and I think that um, there's been a death in the family and, and these things just kind of build up and I think it's important for me essentially um, to catch it when it's sitting at the three or the four. I don't want to let it get any further. Yeah. And I think that there's too many people out there that don't know how to do that. Absolutely. It's um and again it is a hard one to spot again. When I was talking about the you know, the, the various types that I've kind of read up on, the the bit that that kind of uh, it's been confusing to me is that the anxiety side of things tends to be considered um more of a kind of sort of conscious thing and the panic attacks, you know, a sort of subconscious thing. And again, that's part of it that's no kind of set with me. So I've come more to terms with my depression, which I do recognise and are able to manage than I do anxiety. Anxiety is something that when it comes, it almost always sort of catches me off guard. Mm-hmm. And I tend to feel it's usually my body telling me that I'm not dealing with something or I've not dealt with something in the way that I would have liked. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but again, it's a, a bit of a mystery to me at times because I'm so conscious about my actual general mental health that when this thing comes out and sideswipes me, it, it's quite a confusing experience for me. So it is like because I spend so much time trying to be, you know, within myself that when something sideswipes me like that, it's it's, a, it's hard to put a finger on why for me. So it's like, and I have the things like you say, illness, families, and all these kind of things. But I don't know. I've never sat at the end of an anxiety attack and went, I know what caused that. Right. I don't don't think I have either. So, uh, yeah, I think that maybe the, I would say maybe the first couple, um, any that I've had in the last two or three years, I've been able to pinpoint it. Yeah. Exactly what's caused it. I I think that um, this comes down to like awareness and mm-hmm. self-awareness and stuff and um, definitely like studying to become a therapist I've went completely balls deep into this whole sort of self-awareness thing yeah I'm constantly aware of my thoughts and 
Um, so I can almost trace them. Yeah. Which is getting better and better and better and better. Um, I know it, it's almost it's almost like the more you practice, and I mean, I can talk. We can talk about like what the actual practice is, of um, <laughs> if if anybody wants to know. But the more you practice, I can get on anxiety at like what I'm saying, like two. Yeah. So I can go. I can if something comes into my head, say for instance, work. Mm-hmm. I don't then, which I believe through talking to people, this is what happens to them. Um, I don't then five or six hours later realize, oh shit, I've been thinking about that for five or six <coughs> hours, or I've been caught in this negative loop for five or six yep. hours, staring at the TV, and you come out of it, and then all of a sudden you're guts and knots, and you're mm-hmm. just and and then a lot of people, a lot of people's experience, it then becomes. I don't know what's caused this. And yeah. it's like, well, you've been thinking that's... about something that's stressing you a couple of hours earlier Definitely. and you've just went into the rabbit hole with yourself. I think you might be fortunate in the sense that you've got that maybe training and experience because that's one of the things that I find frustrating about the anxiety and I, and I think I'm quite well prepared given you know my past experience uh, personally with this type of thing that even now that that element of it still confuses me. If we've got people out there, people listening, people watching the show who experience anxiety but have never taken those steps to be maybe more aware of themselves maybe mm-hmm. more in control of what's going on I, I you know i can't I, I mean i remember my first attack i think we were sitting in um rufus rufus t whatever it is me and stacy had only been together a, you know maybe less than a year and i became aware of the fact that i had just standing at the bar sweat clean through a shirt and then started shaking and then became quite faint and had to kind of step away and it was Quite a weird experience to be in such a big group of people where I think maybe being on the way to a gig or something like that, mm-hmm. mixed with, you know, getting to know a partner and whatnot. But that was terrifying. That that first experience, I, I can still remember it, you know what I mean? But the experiences I've now don't terrify me as much because of what I've learned and whatnot. But for people out there who haven't taken that time to maybe try and, as I say, be self-aware, learn about their condition of themselves, it must be a love in hell. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, well, it was. I mean, my my experience with anxiety later in later in life, later in life, thirty five year old. But it, the sort of um, when it came back, it came back with a vengeance. Maybe run about my thirty five, maybe about twenty eight or twenty nine coincided with me becoming like getting the job that I've got just now, yeah. which is, I mean. In the, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not going to sit and be like, I've got a pressure, uh, my, my job is pressure-laden and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But as a sales environment, I need to perform month to month. And if I don't, then I'll lose my job. So I, I do have pressures and nobody puts the pressures on me more than I do myself. So. Well, that is also true. <laughs> yeah. So I, it, it came back with a vengeance and I tried to just do the same thing again where I just tried to ignore it. Mm-hmm. I just thought, this, this, this has happened before, it, it'll go away, but it just wouldn't go away. Right. Uh, aye. Just the usual, bury, the, bury, the, bury your head in the sand and hope for the best, which just doesn't work. Like, I yeah. mean, I think like, there might be somebody out there that could be like, well, I've done it, but with my experience, personally, it comes back and it comes back 10 times stronger than you've ever thought mm-hmm. that, that it ever could. Yeah. Um, and the only way for me to get out of that was to study it and to understand it. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way that I'm as a person. And I I get that that, that won't work for, for everybody. Yeah. But for me, like the knowledge of um, other people's experiences, how they deal with it has just been so valuable to me. Un- yeah. I mean, just 
they, we've spoke about it so many times, maybe third or fourth time in six episodes, but meditation for me is what gives me that sort of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Like I can, I'm, I'm almost in a constant state of mindfulness. Yeah. And that, like, I've got that through, so through studying, I'm professionally training to become a cognitive behavioral therapist. I get like 15 minutes a week mm-hmm. where I get to sit down with somebody and I get to practice and it's somebody that's on the course, Mm -hmm. but they, they ask them that they give me real life situations and I give them real life situations and people cry and Mm -hmm. it's like proper, like it gets deep. I mean, there's like three people in a room sort of like either talking about work or there's sometimes it's like real deep shit that comes out when Mm -hmm. you're sitting in there and it's all confidential and it's like, um, I love doing it. I really love doing it. Um, CBT is said to be one of the most effective ways of Handling anxiety for what I read. Well, I had kind of changed my... So I will talk about that in a wee second because that's quite an important point. But in that session, you need to... That 15 minutes of that person speaking at you, you need to listen. Yeah. There is absolute... So when I first started, I was sitting and I was I was thinking about, what do I say here? What is up? <clears throat> what, what is wrong with this person? Yeah. What, what do they want here? Um, like, and... It, it just does not work. Mm. So what you go through a sort of process of building the putting the building blocks in place so that you can actually communicate with somebody and mm-hmm. how do you let somebody know that you're listening and all these things and it just brings you into this sort of state of sort of flow that you end up in where somebody's speaking and it's impossible for you not to hear what they're saying. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's weird. Um, I mean, I sat for the first while thinking you need to be able to read minds and... I can get why it would feel like that sometimes. And but then once you actually start to see, once you can get good enough at listening, you can start to hear what the person's actually saying. Yeah. And then you can just fire that back at them, and then everything just, between the lines. just opens up. Absolutely. But th- that practice, that ten minutes, and then uh, what was that documentary? Insight. Uh, it's a, um, it's a documentary on Netflix about was it on Netflix YouTube, um about um about mindfulness, about meditation. It shows you like a school mm-hmm. down in England where the kids meditate every morning yeah. and there's like no fighting. They have arguments, but they're, they're, they resolve it and there's loads of stuff with the that's wee boy. That's something that's taken on in a lot of countries now, is yeah. that like, it's particularly in like lower grade schools and stuff like that, primary schools, etc. A lot of countries actually taking on mindfulness and meditation as part of their, their curriculum. daily routine or right. whatever. I mean, exercise, why no? Mindfulness, why no? You know yeah. what I mean? Nothing, nothing but good. But this documentary really, really changed the way that I looked at, um, the way that I looked at things with regards to meditation and mindfulness. And um, she, basically, the woman had said in the documentary, um, "You need to practice for ten minutes every day," which is yeah. meditation. She's like, "But you also need to practice every single minute every day. Mm-hmm. Whenever you think about practicing, you need to practice." So yeah. she's like, "Start with brushing your teeth for the." minute and a half two minutes that you're brushing your teeth you need to only think about brushing your teeth and then you build it up for there yeah so that you end up going through your day almost constantly in the moment yeah. and that is my goal like that, that is one of my goals is to just start just living in the moment mm-hmm. and this documentary really changed i was thinking that you meditate but then you just go about things as normal mm-hmm. and how did I, I i really didn't see how do i apply this in real life mm-hmm. um and and what benefit is it to it yeah, and it, it's just a case of I mean it sounds so stupid but it's just a case of 
focus on what you're doing. Yeah. And if you're not doing anything, and it's alright to think about stuff, like mm-hmm. you can think about stuff, but just as long as you stay aware of what you're thinking about. Yeah. And if you're and if you're thinking negatively about a situation, question the negativity, mm-hmm. think about is there anything it's a positive? Really hard thing to do sometimes. It, it is. It, it's. I mean, it, it's almost impossible mm-hmm. at certain times. I think yeah. that um, part of the journey that I've been on, there was a point where I felt like I was doing really well. I'm getting to grips with this, but it was almost like that's the first step. Yeah. <clears throat> now you know that all this stuff, and now that you can feel all these feelings, what you're going to do about it. Mm-hmm. So this is what I was going to say about the CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, for me, and is is like a band aid. Okay. So, you can change the way that you think about stuff, but if there is something deep down inside you that you need to either come to terms with, communicate to people, which is like the big one for me, and I don't do that enough either. Is tell people like your secrets. Do you know what I mean? Mm. The stuff that you wouldn't tell anybody. If if you've get if you've get one or two people in your life that you can tell their things to. You're in a very exclusive, like group of people. Yeah. Um. But cognitive behavioral therapy and all these things that people, CBD and change your diet, um, go to the gym. Yep. These things will definitely make you feel better. Mm-hmm. But if you are, if you have got something that happened to you when you were young, or if you have got something that you don't, there's some event or a series of events in your life as it was with me, mm-hmm. you need to start to deconstruct them mentally. Yeah and digest them mm-hmm. and make sure that you either write it out, talk to somebody, do whatever it is that you need to do. I mean, there's plenty of stuff out there where they'll tell you what to do, if you, mm-hmm. but you need to digest these things. Like, because if you hold them and you hold them, like that's the feel, that's what I think the feeling in my stomach is, is just all the resentments, all the bitterness that I hold inside me for people that have probably done very little to me actually, but. In the grand scheme, I. Yeah. So like all the course of like studying and about, to move into like the diploma year for CBT, I think it's a band-aid. Mm-hmm. It's not going to fix everything. What it will do is it'll get you to a place where you can actually fix it, Yeah. but you need to fix it. Mm-hmm. There's been so many people that I've spoke to that go for like succession CBT. Oh, I was great. See, during the succession CBT, it was fantastic. I loved it. And it's like, but you're talking to me now about how you don't feel. All right, so what's happened since then? And mm-hmm. it's either the practices went by the wayside, they don't, like they don't realize that that kind of changes for life yep. or it's actually something that's eating away at them mm-hmm. that they need to just go look i need to speak to somebody about this like yeah. whether it be i know i said earlier on a loved one i know that sometimes that isn't the best case scenario especially if it might be something that they don't agree with or, or whatever it might or be maybe the other root cause potentially potentially yeah. i but like things like cbt um kind of like a tool like dan was talking about one of yeah. a various set of tools that are in your box to then Take out and Take use out. as and when needed. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And that's definitely the thing about like changing the way that you, I mean, that's what cognitive behavioral therapy is. I mean, what I just described, like getting yourself into a, a mindful state that you can recognize negative thoughts and change them. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's easy <coughs> for somebody to say. And it's like, how do you get there? It's yeah. long and it's arduous, but it's, it, well, the only way that I've seen success for it is if I do it every day. Mm-hmm. I can't skip a day. It's okay. kind of like, it's no even, I mean, a lot, it might be psychological. I get that. Like if somebody was to go, well, if that, if, if I'm, if, if, 
<coughs> some sort of horrible feeling anxiety builds up over the course of years how come missing one day meditation means that you go back i know that that might well be placebo and it might be just psychological yeah. but if i miss a day if i miss two days if i miss three days by the time <coughs> i get to four days no meditation no like whatever it might be kundalini yoga no martial arts i feel like a piece of shit man yeah and i need to i need to do something about it okay i mean it's again like we spoke in probably like episode one like the, the important part when you're taking control of your mental health or your anxiety, as is the case we're talking here this evening, is that the process you put in place works for you. And if you need it every day, yep. then that's your process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you should never have to apologise for yep. that. You know what I mean? Like if your well-being is dependent on that process, then, of course, two, three, four, five days or whatever is going to have an impact because you're conscious of the fact that that's... You're, you're no abiding by the process. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, for me, <clears throat> the mindfulness side of things, slightly different. I, I I don't think that my experience of mindfulness has went to the kind of analytical stage that, that you have kind of went to. Um, I've not took on any sort of formal learnings or anything like that. For me, it was a way to quieten my head down. So obviously as part of, you know, that my experience with my mental health is that when I'm at a worst, the biggest thing for me is intrusive and negative thoughts um and you know my head goes to a dark place a lot of the time and the mindfulness has actually provided me with a tool as we were saying to just interrupt it mm-hmm. long enough to get back in control of what's going on and as a result of that i have obviously gained a bit of insight about myself um i'm more of a kind of and in, in the heat of the moment i'll rely on mindfulness like in the last couple of weeks where i've been transitioning medication and stuff like that um it's something i definitely use more often and i'm probably more conscious of using when i probably don't feel too stressed out or anything like that just because i'm re-establishing a bit of normality Mm -hmm. and but generally speaking i would say that you know probably a couple of times a week i would use it but it wouldn't have been everyday thing for me and it's that time i take to myself to just bring myself back into what's going on reset Basically, I find that when I become conscious of it, that's not always necessarily enough to stop it for me. There it is, because right. um, as I was saying before, and again in episode one, was that sometimes I feel like quite a bit of a passenger in it, where I'm, you know, my brain is doing the driving and I'm just kind of watching what's going on. So mm-hmm. being conscious of the fact that I'm having these negative or intrusive thoughts isn't always enough for them to stop. Uh, and I've, I've found mindfulness a good way to just break it up long enough to actually right. get quite, myself back quite in like control. Quite like analogy there, man, because a lot of people, <clears throat> they it's they almost think that their negative thoughts are if you go to a dark place. I mean, I, I'm the exact same. I have intrusive thoughts, and the first thing that comes to my mind is, why <clears throat> the fuck are you thinking about that? Or inappropriate moments to be having these thoughts, or like you're saying, like dark, like really sort of dark stuff. Um, and like you said there, I'm a passenger in my brain's, my brain's like um, doing the driving. That's a like a really interesting analogy. I think that the mindfulness probably gives you the ability to take care of the driving seat, Definitely. even for just a moment, mm-hmm. just to break that. I mean, it's such a it, it's a it's such an overused word, but such a cool thing because it's such a mystery to me. But momentum, yeah. like if you can break momentum, that's it. If you that's it, and that is the hardest thing that you can do. And if if mindfulness, if that's all that you, you you tried mindfulness and that is all that you take for it, I would say that that's amazing. It's been <laughs> huge for me. I mean, up until very recently, you know, I've been a number of years 
completely unmedicated without any real issue. And I think the understanding that I have for myself now has been a massive factor in, you know, recently going back on your medication because for the first time in my entire life, I've seen this slide coming yeah. way off in the distance and I was putting, you know, mood management in place, meditation, you know, taking breaks for work, various other things. And over the course of weeks became aware of the fact that that wasn't enough. And for the first time in my life, I was able to go, well, do you know what? It's time to go and speak to the GP. You know what I mean? And that that even small awareness that I've got for the process of that in the last couple of years has been enough that, you know, I had two weeks off work and five years ago it would have been six months. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so even a tiny bit of knowledge about this type of stuff as I feel that I've got maybe by comparison to somebody like yourself has made just an absolutely night and day massive difference right. in my everyday life. You know what I mean? Like, right, man. That's great. I mean, I think <clears> it just I instantly went to... I, I can't remember who it was anyway to say their name, but um, you were you were either there doing a podcast or we were watching the football, and you had said to somebody, "Well, I'm just letting the medication set in." I can't remember who it was. No, I saw it here with your own meds, and you were like, "I, I saw it here that." And just you giving me your perspective on it mm-hmm. is just completely like. I mean, it takes me to that and makes me think like, saying that to people make me think twice anyway, but mm-hmm. also that is a real positive step for somebody that struggled with mental health to be yeah. able to see it coming and just actually, like we were saying, they'll break the momentum. Yeah. And I don't, and I had another weird experience <clears> today with it as well in the sense that, you know, I, I did get a bit, in the build-up to coming here, they were a bit tired, a bit ratty. Um, did get a bit nippy towards the end of my shift. Somebody passed me by and went, you are right, mate, no senior ages. I know I've been out sick for a while. Now, I made a conscious just choice a couple of years ago not to hide it anymore not to make excuses for it. Mm-hmm. I've been very fortunate to not spend a lot of time in my life really worrying too much about what other people think of me. And this has been a time where those two things kind of married quite nicely together. And uh, somebody had actually, the person that spoke to me, I've been up sick, you know, usual stick, this and that, and the other, and, oh, no, sorry to hear that, no worries. And they emailed me like 10 minutes later, go, look, I'm, I'm really sorry to have brought that up in the staff room. Like, I'm, I'm you know, I, I didn't mean to embarrass you there. And I was like, I'm not embarrassed. Like, this isn't something that you need to apologise for. Like, it's all good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so it is something that's, you know, again, three, four years ago, that would have been completely unimaginable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and and you're and but and you're claiming that the the tools you've just like I've not quite you saying like I've not quite went as deep as what what I've went. Um, but you've gained a functional like support tool. Yep. Through just like for what your claim is just like a little bit of knowledge do you know what i mean so i think that that's that just shows people that if you just i mean there's so many people that i encounter and i don't know if it's just me because i, I work in like when i manage people mm-hmm. like i'd say people be like you manage a shop it's like no but i manage a sales team of people like with yeah. them there but there's no fucking shop there's no money coming out of my just pocket, a so exactly like i manage them like i figured that out a couple of years ago that if I manage them I'll be alright used mm-hmm. to try and deliver it myself doesn't work so I manage them and I've got to the point with my team and I hope they don't mind me saying nobody really knows where I work anyway um, but uh, I listen to their problems like that is one of, one of the big parts of my job is that if somebody isn't happy they're not mm-hmm. going to perform so I sit and listen to their problems and I'll ask them and 
I try not to use, I try not to use much of my training mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm dealing with people in my life. Like just the same as like me and you having a conversation. I'm letting myself be aware of the cloaking stuff and that stuff that you can't do when you're like try somebody's in crisis or whatever. Absolutely. So I don't use any of that <clears throat> to try and help manage people because I think that's unfair. You need they need to be aware that you're going to use stuff like that. But I hear um, all their troubles, um, and. I think that one of the main things that I hear for them is is that they just feel overwhelmed. And I think that, um, and I try and say to them, look, these are things, try meditation, try this and that. And again, just like hitting on the point that you, you've managed to get out in front of it. Like you're saying like this time, it's six months versus two weeks. Um, it It's just... Aye, it's it's such a valuable thing that you've got if you can do that one. Like I think there's a lot of people out there that just drown on it. Oh, well, I think both of us have spent a long period of time doing that ourselves to be fair. You know what I mean? Like at various points in our lives. And it is an easy thing. It's it's one of the things like I liken it to climbing out a hole. You know what I mean? But there's definitely been times in my life where I chose to live in the hole. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. when I consciously chose to live in the hole where I went, well, this is just who I'm are. You know what I mean? Like, this is the thing that I need to come to terms with with myself. Right. Is that this is who I'm are and this is how I'm are. And that was bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know I, what I mean? Like, I think so. I think I've done this a similar thing. I don't I was thinking there. I don't think I consciously, I think the second that I get a conscious wonder that it was speaking to somebody and they described their anxiety to me and I went, holy shit, I've had this <laughs> twice prolonged periods of time in my life and never realised that I just thought this is just the way that I felt like yep. you're saying this is just part of me but also in that sort of romantic rock star being in a band mode I definitely yeah. caned it I definitely did things that I shouldn't have done Absolutely. I, I definitely like stayed out t- too late drank too much took too many drugs broke relationships with people through my bad behaviour mm. and so I think that I consciously made a choice as well because Aye. that there's no way that I didn't know that being a cunt to people or being an arsehole, yep. people don't like that word, do being an arsehole to people is going to mean that they don't want to be around me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I knew fine well that that was the case, but I made that choice because it was part of like an image that yeah. I'd had for myself. This is the way that I need to act. Mm-hmm. So I think I did make that, I, I, I went both ways there. I went, I've never been conscious of it, but I think I definitely did. Yeah. And I think part of that, that sort of thing as well is quite dangerous. Like, the sort of cultures that we, the romance that we put behind these sort of tragic figures and fallen idols. I think it's changing. I think, <clears throat> you know, the 27 Club, as people refer to it, the, the wine houses and Joplin's and Hendrix's and all these people that lived fast, died young, Jim Morrison and all that kind of stuff. I, I think it's 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 not an image that the, the, the sort of current incarnation of society really rewards in the same way. Mm-hmm. Like, these people were held up as icons at a time and had probably quite a negative influence on a lot of people's lives. As, I mean, oh, for sure. I, I knew a guy a long time ago who was absolutely mental for Kurt Cobain and that had an impact on his life in a negative fashion where, you know, he was choosing to live in the hole because he thought that it would make him more like his idol. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like when there may or may not have been anything legitimately wrong with him, you know. And I think that it's something that when you go through these types of things for so long as people who maybe don't have these coping mechanisms, these support structures in place, you know, living in the hole 
can feel like, as you say, it becomes part of who you are, so you just become comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, but, you know, there are a lot of people in previous generations that climbed in the hole and it didn't fall in like the rest is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't think that's rewarded in the same way. I think we live in a world where, you know, there's a premium on clean-cut, well-behaved, uncontroversial, you know, people. I think the, the you know, the negative impact that these behaviours is outweighing the it's, it's the frowned upon ones. people that want that high end proper success that these other people had in the past that influenced these mindsets they're no held up in the well, same I think way it's, I don't it's, think it's bad for business yeah exactly, <clears throat> I yeah. think that uh, guys like I mean guys like Pete Doherty I think he's probably I mean I'm sure there's there's people would be like no there's this guy yeah he's been on heroin a bit but he's the one of the last of the sort of heroin rock stars i'm sure yeah. that i'm pretty sure i'd heard something about somebody else and like but they keep it secret it's of not course. he was fucking balls out there do you know what i mean although before we talk about pete did you see that photo of him demolishing that breakfast, the breakfast. <laughs> well he's definitely on the smack anywhere if he's eating that amount of scram you know no, what i mean? was like, thinking he's pro- that was i was thinking that's been a fucking four-day coke binge yeah do you know what i mean <laughs> Ekkies and coke, and he's come out. He's come out of a hole, like or cat or whatever. He's like four days later, and he's just been pure. Maybe skipping down the shop, genius man. But he's the last of the of that sort of breed of people. Mm-hmm. I think. Well, unless another one turns up somewhere. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of destructive sort of drug addict people in the sort of hip hop world. Um, a lot of fucked up shit. I mean, like you're, Xanax, you're, you're drunk and all that kind of stuff. I suppose. You know what I mean, like, just as as I said that, they um, there's a lot of them that are um, that are on Xanax and on mm-hmm. these sort of like almost like designer chillet drugs that uh, as a as a, a cannabis connoisseur I can neither like look down my nose at anybody but they're promoting the, the use of these drugs and mm-hmm. um, I think that that exists in the hip hop world but in the sort of mainstream rock and roll yeah. were, Libertine's really mainstream they were mainstream enough but the that sort of idea of the sort of heroin chic and yeah. uh, well, I think that I young that younger tidy. generations are just <clears throat> too preoccupied with being cool. Yeah, nobody wants to be rock stars anymore. They all want to be YouTubers. <laughs> I mean, uh, like, influencers. I've got, a, I've got a fourteen year old daughter who will never pick up any meaningful musical instrument in her life, probably. But you know, put her in front of her pal Snapchat and she'll talk for hours, probably. You know, what I mean, that's the thing now. You know, what I mean. So, you look at the the what was it Logan whatever his name is and Logan the, Paul yeah the the backlash to him in the the Japanese forest and stuff like yeah. that. I but mean that's about as the, the backlash didn't last long because I'm pretty sure that you're not up in these things and he's just, I was boxing somebody the other they day. just they just I and made a fuck ton of money hmm. boxing another YouTube guy and now there's guys out there <clears> there's <throat> the Brendan Schwab who's like one of the sort of main no official but one of the main uh mixed martial guys, arts guys. Uh, he's on like fox and stuff like that he's now calling for him to get put into the ufc and saying what's the difference between logan paul and cm punk and you're like well oh, fuck i like you're kind of like aye, aye he's going to end up things are all starting off box but at the same time that kind of niche sort of borderline behavior that we're talking about for previous generations is as i say that's the perfect example of how frowned upon it is because i don't really know that I, it was disrespectful to film a dead body, right? No doubt. But at the same time, 
you know, it's just it was full outrage, and that's that's the thing now. Like people, people only actually angry. People only actually upset by these things. There's just full outrage because it gives them an excuse to piss and moan on social media, mm-hmm. and I think that's another element. Of, you know, kind of maybe a bit drive some of folks' hands. I know we've touched on the sort of social media side of things a few times. Uh, you know, the sort of pigeonholing and the sort of divide and conquer and all the rest of it. I think at this time now, we're attacked, like consciously attacked by so many forces that want us to feel anxious, that want us to mm-hmm. be uneasy. Because when we're uneasy, we're pliable, we're easy to manipulate. When we're scared, when we're unsettled, we're easy to push in certain directions, particularly in large numbers. And it's... I think it's, it's like- it's almost like, you know, societal provided anxiety. Anxiety is like you know what the I mean? perfect like, consumer state. Anxiety yep. is it's just that whole sort of like there's there's, there's shit is coming by this stuff. Aye. You you'll miss out. Aye. And if you're if you're sitting on a knife edge and that like we're saying, you've got no control of your thoughts, so I'll talk about that earlier yep. on. And and somebody's like, You must buy this, like the we, you, you're not buying this right yeah. now you must buy Your this life is shit because you don't have this product exactly yeah. like you're in a sort of perfect space to consume um and also if they can push you into that anxious state then you've got very little control over yourself yeah, so it's then no, it's not an accident when you like walk through Times square piccadilly circus you know downtown tokyo and every square inch of free spaces filled by neon lights that flash and you know you're you're distracted, you know what I mean? You put on a YouTube video, you get an advert, you mm-hmm. play a game on your phone and you get a pop-up and, you know, you've, you can't back out it for 30 seconds, mm-hmm. but you, you know, you've got to watch it, you know. Uh, on-demand content, you know, when you go, the great thing about on-demand used to be that you could pay your extra five for a month and you would never have to watch an advert. Yeah. And now you put on a 20-minute episode of like Broad City or like The Daily Show or whatever it is, there's three advert breaks and you're like, you have you have you have trapped me uh, here. Under you know what I mean? Pretense. Exactly. Football. You go to a football stadium. It's all flashing lights and move. And, and, and it's about just creating that unease, that you know, that inability to really focus, as you say, earlier on, on what's happening here right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because nobody want. They don't want you doing that. You know what I mean? Like governments don't want you doing it. Advertisers, big companies don't want you doing it because then you're no pliable to what they want for you. Mm-hmm. You, know oh, you mean? wake the fuck up too, but some of the stuff that's, that's going on, um, definitely. Um, I, I'm, <clears throat> I know that this is, and I have really thought about this because it's definitely like getting old, but I really, really worry about young people. Definitely. About the, the, the kinds of young people that this kind of culture is going to produce. But at the same time, I take a lot of, heart at the fact that there was people said that about my generation and yeah and i mean we've not done great aye, we've done all right. but every single generation but i think that um no i think that this is a massive change I, I, the reason so if somebody was to say uh, why 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 are you worried i think that when if you think about the traditional guys that held elvis presley and went not held the beatles not the who not mm-hmm. now that this type of that's what I think about that sort of like school teacher, like your generation, that's just noise and it's stuff like that. It's like, no, because I appreciate good music. So mm-hmm. it's not that, it's not a cultural thing. Yeah. It's that I feel the anxiety that I get off it. Mm-hmm. That when, if I spend too much time on social media, I, I can feel it. I can yeah. definitely feel it. If I, if I take a day 
um, where I don't spend a lot of time in social media, whether it be through conscious choice or just chance that I'm busy at work yep. and then I come home and I've got something planned, whatever, I feel a fuck ton better. Absolutely. Um, I've said to you as well, the times where you went, mate, you went unresponsive there, were texting back and forth about shows and I went, mate, I'm having a bit of quiet day because there is days where I will consciously put the phone down. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, it's maybe once a week or something like that, you know what I mean? But there is definitely days where I'm, you know, I'll get up in the morning and be like, do you know what? I'm not having that bullshit today yep. because, as you say, it's just this, like, you know, 24 hour news, all these things. It's just this constant movement of bright lights and loud noises and people telling you what to do and what you need. And people will always want to disappear inside that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and I think it is more and more prominent. I think it, it's, as, as time progresses, they're finding new and interesting ways to, to distract us and keep us unsettled and pliable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and I think the younger generations that you're talking about, as we were talking again last week with Dan, you know, resilience is going to be something that is going to be massive for them because who's teaching them that? You know what I mean? Like, who's teaching them that when they go into this real world, there's things that they need to be prepared for? Like, we, we're on a borderline between, you know, the last generation that didn't really have to deal with as much of this stuff mm-hmm. and the first generation that will never experience the world that we experienced growing up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we're a, almost a kind of transitional generation in terms of this technology in these worlds. And what they, how, how are they going to... If, if we are the people that are supposed to teach them as the generation above them, and we don't really get it, how are they going to get it? Aye, when well, they have no point of reference for what we're trying to tell them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I suppose that <laughs> the only good thing about... That or the one good thing that I can think of is that we are kind of on the same boat. We're like the guinea pigs, I suppose, and we need people to be like. I think. Well, I was going to ask a question. Do you think we'll find somebody that is fully consumed, like, or will we find out human capacity for consumption? Is that something like, or a better way of putting it, will we find the limit of stimulation that we can hit before something goes really badly wrong? Mm. Have we, we we might have already found it, we just don't know about well, it. Well, I there's got to be um I overstimulation is definitely something that should be an issue. I think, mm-hmm. you know, even things like, you know, ADHD, you know, attention deficit, etc. Similar types of, you know, sort of symptoms and prognosis to that. They might have always been there, but I'm definitely conscious that if when I was, you know, at school age to where I'm on now, stuff like that seems to have taken a oh, massive, massive spike. Definitely. And again, I think this is the byproduct yeah. of the type of world that we live in, um, where it's all look here, look here, do this, do that, you know. And well, you would say there's probably no limit to how much some people can endure mm-hmm. because people have endured some shit in their day. But there's going to be a lot of people out there that don't have that resilience, don't have that support, don't have that experience that probably will drown in it mm-hmm. you know well I mean? i've got some per- i've got personal experience a bit of personal experience um and this is just i suppose what i've experienced that mm-hmm. in the last year having the tv on so this was something that i used to love like okay. have a tv on silent and play music and just put on whatever okay. usually celtic videos like i'm bad like yeah charnold like i'll just sit and watch celtic videos like and this week i'll just sit and watch celtic score goals against strangers i think it's like a psychological thing i'm like if i was Sign a player if i was Sunday. a play, if i was a player you'd be like i can understand that but as somebody that doesn't even go to the games anymore it's like kind of pathetic but i just love it it's just something that a day i've always done yeah. it but i used to sit with like video youtube and sit and play music and in the last year 
I kind of hate doing it. It, yeah. it makes me feel anxious. It's pure split consciousness. I don't feel yeah. good when it's happening. I feel kind of, like you're saying, I feel kind of split and I don't know where to put my attention. And so I've stopped doing it. And then, so like, I'd watched something the other night and the guy had said, oh, my teenager, can he, can he sit in silence? He needs to have at least his phone and something on the TV. Right. And he was describing um, his autism. Okay. Um, and I was... I mean, I would never ever dream of saying like, is this specific case autism? Just the, the wee guy just needs. What? What? what how's he living? Mm-hmm. Is that something that he's had since like day dot? Has he been had an, an iPad filed in front of him since he was born? Is yeah. this like these are the types of questions that you almost can't ask though, mm. because the people it will be like, well, how dare you? Of like, course. Is the implication that you're mm-hmm. saying I caused this and all that? Yeah, kind of carry I don't on. think that in a generation we can go from to the point where I was in a school class where nobody had ADHD, nobody had mm-hmm. autism, to the yeah. point where it's affecting like tens and fifteen yeah, percent of absolutely. populations and stuff like that. And I don't know if this is well. This is my worry: is that I know more than one person with autistic, more than like more than one person with more than one autistic child. You know what I mean? So right. it is something that is hugely spiked. But again. I personally don't know enough about that side. Neither do really... I. Neither do I. I don't know. I would. I would like to think, and I hope it is, the fact that we're we're progressing mm-hmm. and that we're becoming better at diagnosing Mere these aware. things. But I also think that part of it is um, just our inability to to sort of regulate behaviour or yeah. um, an inability to control. Like, mm-hmm. I mean. I if if we think back, man, I wasn't allowed to sit in front of the TV. Like, I had time. Yeah. I had an allotted time. Mm-hmm. It was normally for when I came into school until when Neighbours started at 20 to 6. But right. seeing that time, I was allowed to watch what I wanted. And then outside of that time, if I didn't watch what my mom and I were watching, go to That your was room. it. Yeah. So um, a lot of the time I went to my room mm-hmm. and I played guitar yep. and I listened to music. Like, I think that would be the main thing. I wouldn't be saying, oh, yeah, <clears> I, I went and learned how to play guitar. Well, I, I rejected TV. It wasn't that. It no. was that a lot of EastEnders, Coronation Street, Emmerdale, stuff that my mom and dad were watching, bored the piss at me. So I used to <laughs> so go... back in the days, I phone five channels then. I, I, I would go next door and would sit with a twin video, a twin tape recorder and listen to Tiger Tim or whatever it was and record. Yep. And I've still got a couple of the tapes. Uh, mine's was John Peel and Steve Lamack. So, I I wasn't quite as cultured as you, unfortunately. <laughs> I just stumbled across them one time with a fail. But um, I I think that I don't know if that's maybe something to do with it. And are we are we breeding this like hypersensitivity into people? Like, are they stimulated to the point where they can't like? So, if you're sitting playing a computer game for like eight hours a day, the rest of that time, if you're feeling anxious, is that because your brain is craving the stimulation. I is it the same anxiety that I, I got when I, I try and kick cigarettes or, or, or an alcoholic tries to stop yeah. drinking? Is it that, no, you, you, yeah, you do have an anxiety, but it's just directly linked to the amount of time that you're spending with these flashing lights yeah. flying. And I hate I hate talking like this because I feel like an old man. You're like, oh, these flashing lights and hyper-violence and all Don't that. Know, man, that's a huge concern because even like, and again, as we've been discussing mental health and various other things. Part of the reading I've done, I, I read quite a number of really cool um, and interesting articles about how people are treating anxiety, PTSD, OCD, and all these various other things that we've been discussing in recent weeks. Violet, the medium, and video games. 
in like virtual reality and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And there's this really cool wave of stuff going on all across the world where the technology being utilised for good, and that's great. But it's been utilised because of some of the absolute horror stories that have come out of the back. I mean, there was a Korean couple who played so much uh, whatever it is, Life 2.0 or whatever the Korean equivalent is, that they neglected their newborn aye. baby and the baby died. Aye, that's right. Um, there's like caps in Korea as well. So these, you know, second life type games are so massive and they've got, so, I mean, like they have 150 meg broadband as part of their, you know, their equivalent of council tax. So they yeah. have massively mm. amazing connections and what that's bred is these kind of like life 2.0, <coughs> second life type games on just a scale that, you just haven't seen before and people are actually now experiencing this gaming addiction mm-hmm. so obviously now governments have to take steps and it's really prominent all across like sort of southeast asia and they're not i think like thailand i think vietnam places like Burma japan and that i don't know that japan's quite there yet but i think there it's been something that's been discussed if i remember right no. but you're talking it started in south korea and has now swept across a lot of asian countries where they're actually having to limit the amount of internet time. So I think between something like midnight and 8am, the internet goes down. Fucking commies, man. (laughs) (laughs) The internet goes down, but it's because the negative effect of this overstimulation is having, you know what I mean? um, Whether that then results in, you know, them suffering for the kind of anxiety and the disorders we're talking about, I'm not sure, but it's definitely having a negative impact Mm -hmm. on people's quality of life. Yeah, the only reason that I bring it up is because I, I noticed that my... Like, uh, yeah, like my anxiety does sort of knock at the door if I spend too much time. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, it's not even, it's, it's not even like, ah, uh, well, you could say that, but it's definitely like if I can stay off my phone, like we, <coughs> we did a, maybe about a year ago, we, we did, we were like, well, we won't go on our phones past seven o'clock because it's like, my, my whole argument was always work. Like, I, I use WhatsApp, people message me, but, if the shop's shut, what the fuck's got? What the fuck you got there? Aye. So put the phone down. Uh, did that for a couple of weeks, and f- it was great. But then you just slip back yeah. in, and but I think it's become such a big. These devices have become such a big part of people's lives now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's so easy to slide back in. I know habits. that this is something that's always said when it comes to these things, but I think that education's the key. I don't think banning people for anything's going to help them. No. Um, I think that if 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 a heroin addict could only get heroin for four hours a day, he'd be smacked out his tits for four hours a day. It's not going to do him any good. <laughs> Aye. It's not going to do him any good. But yeah. what will do people? If I think if you could sit down with somebody, um, like for instance, if somebody was to say to me, if if you watch porn every day, you will be disinterested in actual sex. Right. I would have been like, fuck off. Aye. No, you couldn't. It's like fuel for the fire. Aye. Like it, I'm pre-gaming. That is. Exactly, that is exactly what happens. But nobody fucking talks about it. No. Nobody's talking about it. In fact, when you get people going on about, oh, well, it, there's a there's a movement to ban porn, and when that movement and people are like that's ridiculous, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I'd say to the people, we'll see before you say that it's ridiculous. I don't condone banning anything. Mm-hmm. Definitely no. But you should go and read some of these people's experiences. Yeah. Like, I get I get the fright in my life when I read about these things. Like guys that were saying that. <clears throat> They ended up in, like, ended up watching child porn. They ended up watching bestiality, and how that happens is, and I recognise this in a very, very small thing for me. 
the porn needs to become more extreme. Yeah. The more you watch it. Bigger fix. Yeah, exactly. And I had, you, you start on the normal stuff and then you end up on quite hardcore. You like hardcore stuff. You want to see three women. You mm-hmm. want to see four guys bang the one woman. Whatever it might be, it is extreme. Yeah. Sexual like expression mm-hmm. a lot of these guys end up so far down the rabbit hole that they've got nothing gets them off yeah and that is the point which they need to turn back of course but why is nobody speaking about this why is there why is there um i mean there's plenty of information online to say that there's a lot of these guys that end up um in like sort of homosexual sexual encounters and the reason for that being is is that it's easy and they need it and also it's extreme to them because they're no gay so Okay. Does that make sense? So, like, and it, it does actually, but it's never a it's never so a point of view I've to, considered. To, to find something that actually floats your boat or actually gives you that stimuli that's going to get you aroused. They need to go into something. They need that to go into something that they're not interested in. Something that's actually telling them that no, you don't like this, and that is what gets them wow like gone. And that is what people that there's a I've read that I've maybe read like three or four accounts of that. But and but as long as you know that that is a possibility, that scared the shit out of me. It's like this is something that could potentially happen to you if you don't get this under control because it's yeah. no under control because that is, I had hit stage one where it was like a disinterest in the actual sex. It mm-hmm. was like, I don't, it was almost like you don't need it. Ah, yeah, I've already taken care of myself. Exactly. Like it's too much effort. It's too much Aye. hassle for me. But there's absolutely no education out there. I think it kind of follows a similar thing we were talking about the gaming and, and that stimulation, you know, the, the accessibility upon, you know, every teenage boys got an iPhone, an iPad now, you know, unless your parents have actually taken <clears> steps <throat> to manage what you can and can't see, mm-hmm. then the world's your oyster. Yeah. You know what I mean? Letting the precedent in a sense at such a young age can only be well, negative. Can you remember you know I mean? like, the first time you seen hardcore pornography? I swear to God, we found a bin bag under a hedge and that sounds like a cliche. Is it a video? Uh, it was magazines. Magazines, right. <clears throat> so is, that isn't really hardcore pornography. Well, I suppose it is actual I, hardcore pornography, like um, maybe a video went about secondary school. I think that I've obviously I, thought about this. People because, pass videos about definitely. Yeah, I've thought about this. I I think the first time I ever seen proper hardcore pornography, I was like fourteen, right? Fif- 14, 15. Aye. I think the first time I watched that was a bit like. Do you know what I mean? Aye, because the first time you watch it as a mid-teen, like you're probably watching it with like six of your mates, and Aye. it gets weird when you're watching it. That definitely is what happened to me. It was in somebody's <laughs> house. We were all sitting about watching a porno, but um, it it almost felt sort of like you're feeling at that age, you're feeling things that you've never felt before. Almost like mm-hmm. it's like new feelings and stuff like that. So yeah. it is really sort of strange and awkward for you. But I would say the first time that I watched and enjoyed a hard a hardcore pornography was the Paris Hilton porno. Okay. So I was about 19. Mm-hmm. That was the first time that I was like, I enjoyed that. Like, okay. whoa, fuck, I want to see that again type thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. And, I, and so that was the first time. Like, they're thinking that daily use of hardcore pornography starts somewhere around about the 10, 11 mark for a lot of, these, a lot of guys. The, the average age that somebody watches their first pornos and they're doing it eight. Jesus Christ. So this needs to be, this is... There needs, to be education. there needs to be something Aye. happens about this because again if it's if it goes unchecked and we end up with a generation of people who don't know how unrealistic and how you know no married to like real life and mm. the real experience of having sex with somebody it's what we're going to see is massive spikes in anxiety massive spikes in behavioral issues massive spikes in you know 
teen and, and sort of younger suicides again, as Dan was mentioning last week, that's where our focus has to be, is to stop this epidemic in mental health and young men particularly for sliding down the demographic to people who aren't physically and emotionally capable of actually handling it in the right way. Um, <clears throat> it's like the, the young fella that, you know, obviously it's found it quite weird that Dan actually mentioned a, a, an example about a mother who had concerns about a nine-year-old and obviously this week a nine-year-old boy in America took his own life because he came out as gay mm-hmm. um, and he actually came out as gay to his mum. His mum says, it doesn't matter, I love you. Mm-hmm. And that emboldened him to then come out to his classmates. And that's weird that he can be so emotionally aware of who he is at that age because as much as I had like crushes on younger girls, you know, young girls when I was that age, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> I wouldn't have never have classified it in those terms that oh well that's I, I'm definitely straight now, I get yeah. that, you know what I mean? Like so I think it's weird that at that age they can be as aware as they are. I think it was a great thing that his mother was so accepting and loving her the what he knew about himself at that mm-hmm. age. But then we also need to temper it, you know what I mean? Because he's felt so confident in himself for his mum's reaction that he has then mm-hmm. put himself in a situation where other people only is emotionally aware and have have caused a real issue and it's 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 horrific. And but again that's that is horrific. It's that's education, it's it's about <clears throat> knowing themselves, about communication and these are all the areas that I think we've been talking about that are, if we don't focus on them, we're going to see these issues that we've been talking about becoming more and more sort of prevalent. I watched something, I watched, <clears throat> I watched something on like they were talking about that and I let, this is coming for them, I don't, I've not read anything, I, I'd heard about the, the young yeah. boy, um, that the, the young guy, so I don't know if this is true, but he'd, he'd said to his mum, should I tell people at school? And she was like, I go ahead, right? right. Okay. Nothing wrong with that, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But the guys and guys, obviously, but the guys in this um, that I'd heard talking about this were basically like that's she's got a responsibility to tell them. Look, no, everybody's gonna yeah be all right with us. Like, of especially with like, I mean, this guy's point was is that kids are be shits, man. Absolutely. And like, <clears throat> statistically, if he's in a class of ten people, four of them are gay, or three, or three other guys are gay along with him anyway. Yeah. But um, this that had kind of like I was. I was caught in between two minds with that because Definitely. if my kid at nine came to me and said that they were gay, I would be like absolutely accepting it. Mm-hmm. But there is no other nine-year-old like you just said there. Nobody comes out as heterosexual. Yeah, you don't. Kids only standing about at nine, going, "I'm straight." By the way, mm-hmm. so what it does is is it, and unfortunately, this is just this is this is just truth. It separates them for the rest. Yeah. And when that happens at that age, eight, seven, eight, nine year old, there is only yeah. one fucking thing that's going to happen to that when and that is bullied. And whether that happens by one wee shit that everybody accepts it apart for this one wee fucker that just waits until everybody's no there and is like, oh, mm-hmm. or everybody does it, which just seems to have happened that they've yeah. ganged up this wee guy. I think that and when there's you- a group of nine year olds that do need to live with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And again, so I was maybe education could have stopped that. You know I was I mean? caught in between two minds. I sort of agree with the guy and going, no, he's right here, by the way, because she should have known. Mm-hmm. Look, it's just not something that they're ready. I mean, sit the wee guy down and just be like, that your classmates only ready to deal with something like we that. We can't trust them. We can't, aye, exactly. And there's times when you trust 
but I hope that that wasn't what happened. I hope that, yeah. as, as you put it, that the wee guy had the confidence <clears throat> that his mum his mom and his family were so accepting his situation that he had the confidence to go in and, and just come out to everybody. That was just, again, what I'd read. The yeah. idea for me that, like, like you just said there, you're running on instinct and that there is absolutely no reason for anybody to disbelieve a nine-year-old kid when they're like, listen, I'm, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. Because you're they're literally, they're at the raw end. Yeah. They're like, oh, that. But I would, I would also be like, look, just keep your mind open. Like that, I know that you're getting these feelings and I would want them to talk to me about them. But I think that at that age, it's kind of like when you hear about the sort of transgender mm-hmm. kids and there's there's, uh, there's there's parents that are ch- giving them hormones at like five and six, seven yeah. year old. And it's like, why don't you just give them a chance to make their fucking mind up? Like mm-hmm. if that kid comes to you in five years and goes, no, I'm definitely gay. Amazing. But if that kid comes to you and goes, in fact, I'm no gay and then resents you for like sort of embracing this in yeah. them and grow older to go you shouldn't have done that like you you made me vulnerable like you should that was i was kind of like mm-hmm. conflicted and i still don't actually know man like I, this is a lot of like a, a lot of conversations that i have with people i'm just sort of like shooting ideas about how i feel and how i think and yeah i'm not going this is what i think and no of you course you kind of change my mind if somebody was to be like no that woman should definitely have encouraged her kid to go he's just the first one out of the wall mm-hmm. And he's just and he paid for it, like or whatever yeah. it might be. Maybe. Um, I, but I would, if that was me, I would be like, look, it's no something that you can hide, mm-hmm. but you don't need to go and tell everybody. You don't need to necessarily advertise it at this age either. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult one, but I think it, like a number of the examples we've been discussing, it's 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 about that understanding. It's about the education. It's about thinking about the big picture and the impact that these choices we make for our society. And and the you know the side effects they have the anxiety the you know attention deficits and mm-hmm. you know all these other things that we've been discussing through the course of the day it's it's like we were talking last week you know it's great to have awareness but I think awareness without a, a plan and action at the other side of it can cause issues mm-hmm. so it's great that this wee fellow was as aware of himself as he was yeah but. There wasn't a cohesive plan of yeah. action to manage it. For um, sure. Same way the gaming addictions and porn yeah. addictions and whatever else that it happens to be that we're in about. It's fair enough to go, I've got this issue, but if you're then no capable of dealing with it in a meaningful way, your awareness is worthless. Yeah, Aye, you definitely. I, mean? I think as well as, like, I could completely <clears throat> understand why somebody would be like, well, Paul, like, why would you think that anybody needs society should be able to deal with these things? And should. I would be like hundred percent behind Absolutely. you. Absolutely, we should all be open and honest about the way that we feel and stuff. But unfortunately, we live in a very fucking real world, yeah. and society isn't built up to deal with these things. Like no. we've we've spent fifty to a hundred years basically just ignoring a lot of shit. And like you said, we are the transitional generation that's starting to have to deal with a lot of it mm-hmm. because. The internet is airing the dirty laundry. Oh, and nowhere to hide. There's now. absolutely nowhere to hide, and um, but I I think that we live in it's such a strange time to be alive. I don't know if I would ever you'd get that sort of like oh, I wish I was alive at this time. It's always like music or football based. Yeah. I'd like to have been in Lisbon in '67. If I had a time machine, I'd definitely go back. Oh, one of my if I had five spots or something like that, would definitely make that. Mm-hmm. But I think that we live in. One of the most interesting. A lot of people going. I want to go back to 2018. No, but I think that there isn't a lot of people saying that they would like to go back to the Great Depression or like no. to go back to the World Wars. But the generations of people 
are heralded as like the greats. Yeah. And we could potentially be part of a great generation of people yeah. because we're being trusted. Well, we are being trusted, but probably stupidly, but we're being trusted with things that no other generation's ever been trusted before. The amount of information, the amount of uh, influence that we have on each other, the, the sort of different groups of people that are popping up here that want to be identified in certain ways mm-hmm. and we're being trusted with that and i just hope that we don't just fuck it up yeah because we could do some serious damage Aye. to ourselves man we're this in, we're step in. backwards that we're looking like that people are wanting to take like you're saying yeah we live in a generation of people that are looking back at the 80s and going oh it was it was pretty fucking good then and then but looking at it now and going i don't like the way it's gone yeah and it's just but we can't go back Absolutely. We'll never go back. Both in Britain and America, we're, you know, looking to kind of hark back to a halcyon vision of a society that only ever existed in cheesy TV shows. Like, it never, you know, they leave it to Beaver in America. And, for children. Aye, all that nonsense. It, it, was, it was always fiction. You know what I mean? Like, people's real wives largely never, ever fit any of these, you know, stereotypes. And... I think it's obviously a dangerous thing to like hark back and look to drag society back in a direction that is completely imaginary. You know what I mean? Like, I think society should always be about moving forward. And I think, as you say, we are kind of responsible now, not just for our own sort of mental and sort of spiritual awareness and, and well-being, but also that of pretty much the planet now. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe we are at the, you know, front gate here, a golden generation, but for me at the minute, it doesn't really feel like it. Yeah. I think that we've been at a real be pivot. Happy to be wrong, though. Aye, <laughs> so would that. We're at, we've been at a real pivot point for a long time. Um, and I, I just, I'm, a lot of the times I, I watch stuff, like I want to get into the sort of Trump stuff. I want to get, yeah. I want to get into like the, the, polit- the political side of stuff, but I've just found it's kind of similar to what Kevan was saying, that, the overload that I got, a like sort of positive political energy in 2014 has left us sort of really horrible taste in my mouth and looking down at what's going on in Westminster, Boris Johnston, like, it's like, what the uh, fuck is going on? Like, small wh- all these clowns. This, this guy, I mean, this guy looks like a fucking chill snatcher. Like, <laughs> oh, he does actually. He is a, f- <laughs> like, and the way he speaks and people like, um, I think I might have said this on the podcast, I'm not too sure. Or whether it was a conversation with somebody, I can remember watching "If I Got News for You," and Boris Johnston ah, was on. I was saying he was dangerous. That's that. a dangerous man because it's it's all sort of ha 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 and oh look at the way he speaks and blah blah. blah. But that is that guy has got some seriously dangerous fucking same points. Like Farage, Farage is the same, the cheeky chappy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But he's paint a beer. Uh, I'm one of you. Uh, no, yeah. you're a fucking millionaire banker, mate. Like yeah. you're, you're about as much of one of us as exactly. Same with fucking Trump and all his clowns. You know what I mean? Like I'm here working for you. You know, the working class man. Like we're here. To, you know, the unheard, min- you know, silent minority or majority or whatever the hell that is that he ripped off in Nixon and Reagan and all the rest of it. But he's like, how? You know, he's never done an honest day's work, and neither is his entire cabinet. I mean, nobody's that's ever been within 20 feet of the guy's probably ever done, you know, a solid day's work in their entire life, you know what I mean? But Aye, he's the pure voice of the family. working man. It's a, again, it's a total fantasy. So it is, Aye, it? it's a strange one, and it's 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 a strange one that they've managed to sell to people, but also it's not that strange because we've just, we're coming out of the, the back end of, like, uh, austerity that we've 
never seen before no, and right. we're continuing to see. And it's all they pay for bloody tax cuts for rich people, you know what I mean? Let's not pay enough any debt. British debt's trebled since austerity was introduced, you know what I mean? American debt's hovering at like whatever, 14, 15 trillion dollars, you know what I mean? Like, it's bullshit. They're putting money in their cronies' pockets and, you know, telling us that they're paying down debt. It's a, it's a lot of bullshit. But I think in terms of, you know, obviously that climate, like, it's probably more important than ever that we do seek out, you know, opportunities to maybe try and be that, you know, new golden generation that you're talking about. I mean, I think that's one of the things I've enjoyed most about what we've done in recent weeks is talking to guys like, you know, Dan for Brothers and Arms, talking to Eva, and um, we're going to be talking in obviously coming weeks with like Erin Slavin, who, and, you know, maybe some, if we're lucky enough, maybe some of the, the ladies that have been campaigning at Celtic Park and obviously, you know, changes with the Scottish Government recently. Um, you know, we're going to speak hopefully in coming weeks to guys like our mate Greg, who has, you know, you know, pretty much a genius, but <laughs> he's, I mean, Man an actual genius, genius an uh, actual genius, uh, but, you know, serves the army looking for an actual cause. Like, these are the types of people that I think we need to hold up, the people that are actually still out there fighting, and they're not looking for headlines, and they're not looking for praise or anything like that, but I think if we're going to have this generation of people that actually do something meaningful that benefits the rest of the world... Like we we need to hold them up at every opportunity that we get, and I think mm. that's one of the things I've enjoyed most about the last couple of weeks is talking to interesting people about what they're passionate about, why they're passionate about it, and and what they hope to achieve with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's a good place to end, man, because I think like um, on that sort of positive note. Um, but I think like just add that if you're listening to the podcast. Um, please like we appreciate every single listen, like, comment, Absolutely. and if if you downloads, yep, and if you're enjoying it, please share it. Um, we well, well, this this is just like a a wee project that I'm loving doing. Just like like you're it's saying, it's fast becoming a bit earlier, but I love for myself as well. To be honest with you, um, and I'm I want to continue doing it, but uh, we just need people to like share and like the tweets and watch the videos, and even if you. Even if you can't watch it, you can just click it and play it and then pause it and then <laughs> geez, geez, and get in touch with your experience as well. If we're talking about suicide prevention, anxiety, you know, mental health, the life coaching stuff, if, if this is stuff that you have an experience, you know, we can give you a platform, we can share your tweets, we can share your videos or your audio, you know, SoundCloud. You might, you know, provide us with any sort of guest content that you think relates to what we're talking about or, you know, even goes against maybe some of the arguments were made, you know what I mean, like, I've, as I said in episode one again, I love a good argument, so, mm-hmm. you want to submit a wee essay, a wee blog post, or whatever it is, we'll give you a platform yeah. to come and argue with as well. Definitely, and if you want to reach it, as a few people, like, more than a few people have, to me personally, and to Matt personally, if you're, if, if you're a friend, or if you want to add us on social media, and, and send us a DM, I'm more than happy to share any experiences, Absolutely. any point people in the right direction one but i've i've really enjoyed this has probably been the most relaxing podcast that we've done. I, I, I was worried about this one today i was anxious <laughs> i um i i was i think this is the mate i think this is like episode one but we're a wee bit more experienced yeah. do you know what i mean like I, I i'm really happy that we did this and i think we remember again, to record it this time as well didn't we definitely um and your mic switched on Sweet. but um i think that i the, the, even earlier on the day it's like oh, 
you're almost like we've not got a guest on what's the point and like I really appreciate like you coming down and doing these podcasts when we want because all, I feel like really good about the chat that we've had tonight and absolutely me too I mean I, as I say I've got my coffee down there that helped but this is something that has definitely energised me today and, and it has done every time I've been here so I'm looking forward to hopefully loads more cool man right cheers everybody and again if you can give us a share and if you want to reach out send us a DM cheers guys catch you later